this podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Well, it's really good to see you this morning. Welcome to Jubilee. Let me add my welcome to Rupert's. Great to have you with us this morning. I wonder, in amongst your circle of friends and your acquaintances, whether you've got someone like this. You're sort of out for an evening and uh, you've gone to your favourite country pub and uh, I could tell you where, where mine is, but, but it won't be nice and quiet because it will full of people. But you could go to your nice, favourite, quiet country pub with your friends and, and you're sitting there and you, you've probably been in this situation. And, uh, you know, you're, you're getting through your, your drink, whatever it might be, whether it be your pint of lime soda or your, your pint of locally Derbyshire brewed ale or your favourite glass of wine, whatever it might be, your particular tipple. And it gets to that point, doesn't it, where the assembled group has got just a little bit left in their glass. And then there's that moment where you sort of look around and go, well, whose round is it now? And then there's that one person who always seems to have a phone call or need the loo just at that moment when the round is going to be bought. Have you ever been in that situation? Have you noticed it's often the same person who, who no matter what day of the week it is, no matter who they're with, always seems to get that so important text or just has that moment, oh, I've just got to go and, and need the loo break just when it's their round. I'm sure that doesn't describe you. I'm sure you're not that person, but maybe you've been out with that person. Maybe you've been, been sat in that, that country pub and you can imagine the situation. You see, nobody really likes being around people who are stingy. We like being around generous people, don't we? And I'm sure all of you would describe yourselves as generous people. Because generous people are typically more fun to be with. They bring life to any situation. They're they're fun to hang around and they're, they're, they're good to be out with. Not just because they buy the rounds, but often they're more generous in spirit. And, and they bring life to sort of conversations and, and situation. I would imagine that all of us would like to be that person. Many of you I know are that person. And that's great. But I want us to think this morning about the subject of generosity. And we're going to look at the subject of giving and what the Bible has to say about money and generosity. And, and I've called this morning living a generous Life. And if you're making notes, that would be a good title to use. Living a generous life. And this is a foundational subject to us as Christians. It really is. And I want to make this really practical. We look at what the Bible says and then we're going to make some practical comments on this subject as well. So why don't we pray and ask God to be with us as we look at his word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence with us already this morning. Thank you for your generous heart towards us. Thank you that you have made possible a relationship with you. And Lord, as we open up your word together, as we look at what it says about some of these things, we pray that, Holy Spirit, would you come and be our teacher? Help us to understand what we read. Lord, give us hearts that are open to hear from you. And would we take steps to implement the things we learn from your word in our lives and in our lives together. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Okay. So before we get into this, let me put a couple of things out there to put things into context. Particularly if you're visiting us this morning. This this is for you. Um, I'm aware that... uh, Often the church gets a bit of a reputation. People think, oh, the church is always speaking about money. They're always going on about it. 
But I think actually the opposite is true. It's certainly true for us here in Jubilee. Looking back at my notes, I noticed that I last spoke on giving about a year ago. And if I'm honest with you, I don't think we talk about it enough. Money, giving, generosity, treasure, wealth were all themes that Jesus spoke about a lot. 15% of what Jesus says in the Gospels is about this subject, more than everything he says on heaven and hell combined. In fact, Jesus talks about these things more than anything else except the kingdom of God. 11 out of 39 parables talk about money. One in seven verses in Luke talk about the same subject. This would suggest, friends, we don't talk about it enough. Actually, because it was something that Jesus spoke about lots. And I'm aware too that in a congregation like us this morning there are probably some amongst us that are finding things hard financially right now. Maybe you haven't got that long hoped for pay rise. Maybe you're struggling to find the right job or indeed any job. I want you to know that I'm sensitive to those things. We are sensitive to those things together. But we should still talk about this subject. It is still something that we need to give time to and understand what the Bible says about it. Now, I I want to suggest that the reason Jesus spoke about it so much is that you can tell what's really important to someone by what they do with their money. You can say all you like, but your bank statement reveals what's really important to you. So if you were to take a look at my credit card bill or to go through my bank statements, you would see what we as a family spend our money on. So you would see our mortgage and council tax. You would see our gas and electric bills. You would see our kids' music lessons. You'd see our food bill. That only seems to go up. You would see some clothes that I bought for Sarah and the kids recently. You you would see our giving. You would see what's important to us as a family by what we spend our money on. It's been said that the wallet is a window to the heart. And the heart is hard to see. But you can see if someone is generous. You can see if their giving is joyful and indeed sacrificial. Now, fundamentally, giving actually is about worship. It's about giving God worship. And giving to him represents something of, and is part of indeed, our worship to him. We're called, aren't we, to love God. It's the very first commandment, to love God. And giving is part of this. So let's have a look at what the Bible has to say about this particular subject. Well, our starting point has to be this, Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 24, 1 and 2. This is our starting point. This is a foundation to everything else I'm going to say this morning. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. See, our starting point is, it's all his. We're just stewards. We're temporarily looking after something for him for a while. And if we get that one right, then it's a great foundation to build on. So actually, whatever you have isn't really yours, it's his. It's yours on loan for a season, for you to look after and steward well. The world around us says things like, it's yours, you've got a right to it, you've earned it, you can do what you like. The Bible says, it's all his. It all belongs to him. And in giving, when we give a proportion back to God, what we're doing is acknowledging him as the giver of all things. And the part that we give back to him represents something much larger, or at least it should represent something much larger. It's not like we're somehow tipping at God, or just giving him something to think, okay, that's God's bit over with, now I can do what I like. Actually, as we give something to God, as we give a proportion 
back to him in worship, what it speaks of is a heart that is surrendered to him. And in doing so, we're saying, God, it's all yours anyway. As we give some of it back to him, we're saying, Lord, it's all yours. And the part represents the whole. The small represents the large. And as we give a part back to him, we declare him as Lord of our lives. Lord of our finances and the one that's worthy of honour, worship and praise. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 16, verse 13. He said, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So the challenge for us, friends, is this. To ensure that money doesn't rule us, doesn't rule our hearts. It's a great servant, but a poor master. What Jesus is saying here is don't serve money. You can't serve both God and money. Now, the, the passage I want us to spend a little bit of time in, we find in the book of Malachi. So if you'd like to take your Bibles, if you've got them with you, please, turn to Malachi if you're not sure where that is and you've still got a, a paper version, then uh, just find the beginning of the New Testament, the book of Matthew, and go back one. That's where it is. If you're on the scroll and click version, then it's much easier. The Malachi chapter 3. We're going to read some verses together. Malachi 3, verses 6 to 12. I'm going to read it and I'm going to give some background to it so we understand the context. That's so important. Then we'll draw some principles out of it. So Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, And the vines in your field will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Let me give you some context and background to what we've read before we draw some principles out of it. So the Babylonians had conquered the Jewish people. And they'd taken people off into exile. You can read about it in Daniel chapter 1. Later, the Persian Empire arose and overthrew the Babylonians. King Cyrus and then later King Darius sent back some of the exiles to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And it's these people that Malachi is talking to here. Even though though they were back home, they weren't really in charge. Even though they were back in the lands, the Persian Empire was still in charge. And this was incredibly humiliating for the people of God, for the Jewish people. And so economically, right now, they're not doing so well. There's a foreign power in charge. And so they're not in a place of great financial blessing. Originally, when they'd come home to Jerusalem, they would have been full of hope, full of expectation, looking forward to the future. Now they're struggling financially. It's not what they expected. But as well as struggling financially, they're struggling spiritually. In chapter 1 of Malachi, if you look back just a couple of pages, Malachi thunders against the people for bringing weak, lame and blind animals for sacrifice. They should have been offering God the best. That was what they should have been doing, offering him the very best. 
But instead, what they're trying to do is get away with the weakest and cheapest option. What started out as great, passionate, vibrant, heartfelt worship has now become nothing more than religious observance. Just, if you like, going through the motions. I guess it's like the the worst example of traditional religion that you might see on television. No heart, no life, nothing really of, of God in it. Just going through the motions. And before we're too quick to judge those that might be in that camp or maybe to to judge the Jewish people here and say, well, they shouldn't have been doing that. They should have been giving God the best. Before we jump into that, friends, we need to take a look at our own hearts. Because it's so easy to, to slip into religious observance and move away from life and passionate, heartfelt, heartfelt, spirit-filled worship. I wonder, does any of us this morning think, yeah, you know what, I've just slipped into it. So easy to do. We need to be checking our own hearts in it. Before we start looking in detail about giving and money issues, actually, we need to look at our hearts first. Jared Cooper, in his book, Glory in the Church, which I was reading part of this week, says this. If we rarely open our Bibles outside of the gathering setting, rarely sing God's praises without the aforementioned paraphernalia, and he was talking about having the band and the, the video and the PA and all the stuff that, that goes with it. If we rarely sing God's praises without those things and treat people one way outside of Christian events and another way in them, we have become religious. See, God is not into religion. He's not interested in you just going through the motions, somehow ticking the box and thinking, I've done the religious bit this week. God would have none of it then and will have none of it now. He hates that sort of thing. In the beginning of chapter 3, Malachi speaks of judgment on God's people because they've fallen into that trap, just going through the motions. What God is after is real love for him. And as a result, the vibrant, real spiritual life that flows from it. See, we come to money in a moment, but let's just pause for a second. How's your life with God doing? How's your heart? Is it full of life and passion for him? Or have you just slipped into going through the motions? For Malachi, he was calling the people to return to the Lord. That was his his statement, wasn't it? Return to the Lord, his invitation indeed. And friends, God's invitation to us this morning is return to him. If maybe you've slipped into the religious observance mode, if maybe your heart has grown cold and hard, if what started out as passionate, heartfelt, vibrant love for Jesus has become almost just a religious observance, then I want to invite you back into a relationship with him this morning. God is after your heart. And money and giving is an indicator and a way of honouring God, but primarily, he's after your heart. I just want to wait on him for a moment. I, just as I was preparing this week, as I got to this point, I thought, oh, there's such weight in this. Because God's after our heart. It's not a condemning thing. It's a joyous and releasing thing that will bring you life. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life, and life in all its fullness. And sometimes we can think about, oh, that's just when we die and we're in with Jesus in heaven. Yes, that will be life in all its fullness, but Jesus meant now. I've come that you may have life and live it in all its fullness now. 
And that's the sort of life that he wants for you, one that is passionate, vibrant, full of life and encounter with him. Not just going through the motions. So friends, if if you've slipped into that, it's so easy to do. I can think of moments in my own life where things are just crowded in, pressures came and it just got into just going through the motions. But God calls us back. We stand this morning and we have run in towards him as he turns towards us and run towards, runs towards us. Maybe for some of you this morning there's a turning towards him and running towards him moment. Because it's an invitation from the Father that says, come on home. You are loved, you are chosen, you are set free and I want to bring you life. Thank you, Lord. Father, I want to ask, just in this moment, before we get into the the detail of what Malachi was speaking about, I pray, Lord, that Jubilee would be a church where there is life. Life in all your fullness. And I pray for each of us, Lord. I pray for myself and my dear friends here this morning. I pray, God, for any who have fallen into just going through the motions, that this morning would be a moment of returning to you receiving fresh grace and receiving fresh life in your spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Come, Holy Spirit. I can just see the the Lord whispering in in hearts, come on home. (laughs) Come on back. Come back into life. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you, take that step. Allow him to soften your heart and draw you back. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Well, let's get into the uh, the particular subject we're meant to be looking at. (laughs) Which Malachi is talking about giving here. Back in Malachi chapter 3. And Malachi starts off by saying this effectively. He says, you're robbing God. You're robbing God. I mean, it's not the greatest way to win friends and influence people, is it? It's not the greatest opening line of any speech. But listen, to Malachi and to God himself, money was the heart issue that mattered. And it spoke of something much deeper. Think about Jesus and the encounter with a rich young ruler. Sell everything, Jesus says. But money had got in the way. He wasn't able to because it had got into... His heart. Now, you and I are not in the same position as the people that Malachi was speaking to were. But we do need to hear God's word here. You see, for them, money was a big issue. Giving was a big issue. I wonder, is it an issue for you? In our culture, money, possessions, wealth, they're they're massive issues. But it's also a delicate subject. Malachi said that they were robbing gods. What does he mean by that? Well, he goes on to explain in tithes and offerings, Malachi says in verse 8 of of chapter 3. So tithes were what started way back, much earlier in the Old Testament, in fact with Abraham, where he gives Melchizedek 10% of his wealth. It continues right the way through the Old Testament and becomes enshrined in Old Testament law. It's a giving of 10% to God. The Malachi talks about tithes and offerings. Those offerings for special giving, for special purposes on particular occasions. And Malachi says that the people are under a curse because of it. Is that really fair? You might think, gosh, that sounds a bit hard. Malachi, just ease back a bit. You know, you're being a bit heavy here. Is that really the case? Now listen, any time that you're disobedient to God, you begin to incur his judgment. So Malachi's throwing out a warning here and he's issuing an invitation to return back to God. People often say, but, but Graham, is tithing relevant for today? I thought we are under the new covenant now. I thought we didn't have to follow Old Testament law. You know what? It is very relevant for us today. Very relevant for us today. 
You see, it's too easy. We can ditch the idea as just Old Testament law and old hats. But before we do that, bear with me for just a moment. You see, the first reference we find about tithing in the Old Testament is actually way before the law was given to Moses. Some six or seven hundred years earlier, as we mentioned already, it's when Abraham encounters the priest of God, Melchizedek, in Genesis 14 and gives him a tenth of everything. So theologians call this occasion pre-law, because it's before the law was given. So we can't just write tithing off as irrelevant for us, saying it's just Old Testament law. Actually, it's before the law was given. But then if we jump into the New Testament and say, what did Jesus have to say about the subject? Well, he had a whole lot of opportunity to dismiss tithing as irrelevant, if he wanted to, but he didn't. In fact, on one occasion, when Jesus was castigating the Pharisees for tithing their herbs and spices, but neglecting justice, he didn't tell them to stop tithing. Luke eleven forty two. Jesus says this, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all kinds of other garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Bear in mind, Jesus didn't come to abolish Old Testament law, but rather, in him, he fulfilled it. It's a difference, isn't it? He didn't come to abolish it, he fulfilled it. And in fact, what Jesus did in fulfilling the law, he actually raised the bar. So now it isn't just about external observance of the law, the issue now is about your heart. So think about some other things that Jesus spoke about. For example, Old Testament law was do not commit murder quite clear. Jesus says, don't even think about it. You know? So you might go, hey, I'm good. Old Testament law, haven't committed murder. I'm all good. Jesus says, have you even thought about it in your heart? Let's take another subject. Old Testament law, do not commit adultery. Quite clear. Jesus says, do not even look at a woman lustfully. So how you do? Old Testament law. Oh, I, I, I'm good. I'm good. No, I'm okay there. Jesus says, have you even looked at another person lustfully? What about money? See where this one's going? God doesn't want your tithe. Didn't expect me to say that, did you? You want to tweet something from this morning? Tweet that. God doesn't want your tithe. What God wants is your heart. He isn't after your tithe. He's after your heart. Old Testament laws give God 10%. New Testament is, it all belongs to Him. It's all His. He's after your heart. And friends, in every other occasion, Jesus raises the bar. So surely when applying to this subject, actually for us as New Testament, grace-receiving, spirit-filled Christians, surely that's our starting point, not our finishing point. Not to be slavishly applied as a law, but to be a starting point for grace-filled, generous New Testament giving. You see, if 10% was good enough for the Old Testament people of God's, then think about how much more we have received from him. Shouldn't that be at least our starting point? And then seek to move on and move forward from, from that? You know, this is something I felt God challenge us on in recent years. To trust him in it. To trust him more. And I'll be honest, it's not always easy. But listen, God has always been faithful. He can't be anything else. He is faithful. He always has been. He always will be. It's who he is. And time and again, I have found God to be faithful in this area. So why do we want to give to him? Well, it's because the Bible talks about doing that. We want to honour God with our finances. And so depending upon your circumstance, depending upon your stage of life, 
you may well be in a position to give more. You might think, oh, maybe if, if 10% is perhaps a, you know, a good starting point, then you may be in a position to give 11 or 12 or 15 or 20 or more. Who knows? Actually, only you know. Because it's between you and him. And don't just think that you've got more money so you can invest more and save more or spend more. If God has blessed you financially and you're in a good position, then you know what? You can give more. And actually, I would even suggest to you, dear friends, that the reason you're in a good position financially is so that you can give more. I'm not saying that you shouldn't save or you shouldn't be able to spend. You shouldn't be able to care for your family. Those things are good. They're right. But have you got things in the right order? Have you got things in the right priority? So the, uh, the, the verse we looked at in Malachi there talks about tithes and offerings. And both the Old and New Testament speaks of special offerings for special purposes. We would do the same today to, to respond to particular needs or, or challenges. You find some teaching about that in 1 Corinthians 16. We don't have time to look at it this morning, but you can look at that uh, if you wish. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. But Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6 verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I wonder this morning, let me ask you, Where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? What are you putting your trust or hope in? Do you notice that Jesus doesn't say that treasures on earth might be lost, but rather they will always be lost. The story goes of, of somebody who, who, who passed away and died, and um, I think it was his solicitor was asked, well, what, what did he leave? And the answer was, Everything. You can't take it with you. Treasures on earth, you'll lose everything. And if you were writing it as an investment plan to store up treasures on earth, it wouldn't be a very good investment plan, would it? Guaranteed to lose everything. Guaranteed you can't take it with you. But listen, treasure in heaven is different. It's guaranteed. It's secure. Sounds like a much better investment plan, don't you think? Let's look at some questions that often come when we look at this sort of subject together. The first one is always, well, how much then should I give? Well, John Wesley said this, earn as much as you can, save as much as you can, give as much as you can. It's a good quote. I've, I've quoted C.S. Lewis, I think, before when he talks about giving. And he said, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common amongst those we with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. There ought to be things we would like to do and cannot because our commitment to giving excludes them. If our giving does not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say it is too small. Oh, challenging quote from C.S. Lewis there. People often ask the question, well, okay, well, where should I give? That, that regular tie, that regular giving, that regular proportionate giving of my income, where should it go? Well, I think the Bible is quite clear. It goes to your local church. So the church is meant to be the conduit of God's blessing to the nations. And our primary commitment of our tithe or more should therefore be to our local church. Now, obviously you're free to give elsewhere on top of that, out of your, you know, if you like, discretionary money. But giving to the local church that you're part of supports local ministry and the local expression of the, the community of God that you're part of there. Now, I know there are loads of other great Christian organisations about, and you may wish to support them as well, and that's great if you can do that. But your primary commitment should be to your local church. 
So let me ask you, how are you doing with your giving? Are you giving regularly, generously, joyfully to God's work in your local church here if you're part of Jubilee or if you're part of another church, are you giving there? Are you using 10% as a, in a starting point or a guide if you like? You might say, but Graham, I just can't afford it. You know, I would argue that you can't afford not to. So how do you do it? What's the process? Well, you start by taking your weekly or, or monthly income, however you, often you receive money, and work out what a proportion of that is. So let's, let's use the 10% proportion. And then you budget the rest. It's so important you don't do it the other way around. Because it won't work. Believe me, I have tried. If you take your income and think, okay, well, I'm going to work out what I want to spend, what my uh, rent is or mortgage or car or shopping or food or clothes, everything else, and then see what's left to give to God, then pretty much I can guarantee every time that not much will be left. It doesn't work that way round. Now, if you've never given anything, some of you could do that and Okay, you can look at your, your, your finances, look at your budget and go, okay, I can start to give straight away. I, I'm good with that. Others of you might look at your personal circumstances and go, ah, I can't do that. I need some help. And it might be something that you need to start making a plan to get towards. And if that's you, then I'd encourage you to start giving something and make a plan to increase it. And work towards that. Maybe you need to get some help with your finances. As a church we run a course called the Cap Money Course. And it's a great short course that will help you to manage your spending, teach you to budget well, to take control of your finances and to honour God with your money. And if that's something you think, oh I could do some help with that, then come and see me afterwards and we'll talk to you about it and how you can do it. Malachi's challenge was about bringing in the whole tithe. That's what he was challenging the people of God on, because they weren't bringing in the whole tithe. They were giving something, but not everything. What about you? How would you respond if Malachi was here this morning, challenging, saying the same thing? People sometimes ask me, they say, Grant, should a tithe of my income be before or after tax? Well, I remember thinking about that when I was first earning and first started to give regularly. I remember getting my pay slip and looking at my money and thinking, okay, I want to honour God with my money. I want to do well with this. But what's it out of? Is it out of that bit? Or is it out of that bit? I remember looking at my pay slip and thinking, well, if it's out of that bit, it's less. If it's out of that bit, it's more. But how, how do I get this right? What's, what's right before God's? Well, in the Bible, the people of God gave what was called the first fruits. It was the first part, the first bite, if you like, before they took anything else for anybody else or any other situation. And so it didn't take me long to realise, and I had some help with this, I had some conversation with people that helped me understand it, that it's before tax. If it's first fruits, it's before anybody else takes their, their part. So before the government takes their share, before your mortgage lender or landlord takes their share, or before you choose what to do with the rest of it, God's part is first. His first fruits before tax. I want to ask you, have you recently reviewed your giving? Maybe you've had a pay rise. Have you reviewed your giving as a result of it? Are you perhaps prayerfully looking to increase your percentage of giving? Remember what God said to his people and also to us today? Malachi 3 verse 10. God says, test me in this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. This is the only place in scripture where you are commanded to test God. Test me in this, says the Lord. And as a result, he promises blessing. 
Now, let's be really clear. This is not some twisted prosperity gospel. This is in order that you might have more, in order that you might give more. Okay, It's not that you might have more just so you can get the bigger car, or house, or swimming pool, or whatever it might be that you think, I'd love one of those. It's so that you can give more and be more generous. God says to test him. I wonder, have you tested him in this? Jesus says in Luke 6, verse 38, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure. Pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The reality is that most of us are pretty well off compared to the rest of the world. According to globalrichlist.com, if you take home £900 a month in wages or benefits, you are in the top 10% in the world. You make a bit over £5.50 an hour. A little over that. A factory worker in Ethiopia makes 15 pence in the same time. If you take home £101 a week, you're in the top 20% in the world. I wonder, what would you call the world's super rich? Super rich? We often hear that phrase these days, don't we? It's the, the global super rich. Whether they're buying sort of huge houses in London or uh, ocean liners or aeroplanes. Uh, I wonder, how would you define a super rich person? I wonder what you would say they would be. Are they, are they the top 10% maybe? The top five? The top one perhaps? Listen, if your salary before tax is a little over £34,000, then you are in the world's top 1%. Most of us are well off compared to the rest of the world. And I want to encourage you to nail this one now. If you're a student this morning, I want to encourage you, nail this now. You can still give something, You might not be able to give as much as you would like to, but you could give something. You see, the sooner you get it sorted, the better. And if you get get it sorted well on a little amount of money, it's easy to get it sorted later on a larger amount of money. It really is. It really is. So before we finish, and we will in just a moment, I want to ask you a question. And the question is this. What is your next step from this morning? What's your next step from this morning? So if you're not giving at all, I want to encourage you as a next step this morning to take the step of starting to give. Pray about it, yes, but take a step. Do something about it as well. Start giving. Start giving. Maybe this morning you're in the category where you're already giving occasionally. You know, every now and then you, 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 you'll give something, worship maybe, or perhaps through your bank, or you know, you're giving occasionally. Maybe you describe yourself as that. But if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to take a step of giving regularly. Maybe set up a standing order from the bank. If you're a taxpayer, sign a gift aid form so we can claim the tax back. But start to give, not just occasionally, but regularly. Take that step. There's a pack that's on the table outside in the foyer. It looks like that. It says finance pack. And inside there is a standing order form, a gift aid form, a bit more about finances. That's designed to help you and serve you. Do take one of those if that would be useful to you to help you take a next step. But maybe you've already done that. Maybe you've, or you're already giving regularly. You know, you've done your budget, you're, you're tithing your income, you're thinking, okay, I, I've done that. What's your next step? Well, I want to suggest that your next step is this, to go further. Look at increasing your giving. Aim to, give, aim to increase the proportion that you give to God. Step out in faith and trust God to be faithful. Be generous and see what God can do. Give extravagantly, 
but with great joy. Not under compulsion, but with a cheerful heart. Because God loves a cheerful giver. And why wait until next year? Why wait until another moment? You could give an additional gift anytime if you wanted to do that. But I want us to hear that for all of us this morning, there's some steps we can take. No matter where you are, no matter what category you put yourself in, no matter how you're doing so far with your giving, you can take a step of faith this morning and step out and trust God. I want to encourage you to do that. Now, Christians should be, I think, the happiest, most joyful, satisfied people on planet Earth. Don't you think? We should be, because we've received grace and forgiveness from heaven. We've got a relationship with Jesus. And our giving should reflect that. We're called to give cheerfully and generously. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 is what I quoted from a moment ago. We should give. Every man, Paul says, should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So give with joy and be generous. Be cheerful. Terry Virgo said this on the subject of giving. He said, beware the danger of assessing your spiritualities selectively. God wants you to be seriously committed to giving away money. Generosity is one of the key characteristics of a grace-filled believer. So would you describe yourself as generous this morning? Ultimately, this is a faith issue. Do you really trust God? Do I really trust God? Do we really trust him? And are you giving him your best in worship, in money, or are you just going through the motions? So this morning, I want to invite you to join the adventure. And I also want to ask you to review your giving. If you're a member of Jubilee, you're regularly part of us, friends, please do take this seriously. But remember, the issue actually is one of your heart. It's about worship. And giving is just one part of that. I'm a pastor. I'm concerned about your heart, about your relationship with God. And this is a heart issue. God doesn't want your ties. He wants your heart. He wants you. All of you. I want to encourage us that to make sure that our hearts are right before God, that our giving to him reflects that, and our lives are sold out to him, his glory, his kingdom. Amen? Can we stand together? I want to pray as we close our time together this morning. I remember one time uh, in my early 20s, I was struggling at work, a difficult situation, and it wasn't great. And uh, I went to a friend of mine and said, can you pray with me about this? And um, he said, yeah, sure. How's your giving? I went, what do you mean, how's my giving? I didn't ask him to pray about that. I asked him to pray about this difficult work challenge I'm having. He went, how's your giving? I went, well, it's, you know, sort of up and down a little bit, really. And uh, his encouragement, he said, we'll pray about your work situation. But his challenge to me was to sort my giving out. Because it's a heart issue. And you know, I received the challenge. And we, we prayed about my work situation. And I sorted my giving out. And God resolved the work situation. I don't think that things are unconnected, dear friends. Because it's an issue of our hearts. And I learned a lesson in that moment. As I look back and see God at work, I think, yeah, you know what? God taught me something there. So I want to encourage us to take steps of faith this morning and step out in this adventure of trusting God with everything. Because it's all his anyway. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that it's all yours. It's all about you. And everything we have is from you. And we declare again this morning that the earth belongs to you and everything in it. 
And Lord, we thank you this morning for that which you've given us to steward and use wisely for a season. Lord, whether we have much or little, thank you for what you've entrusted to us. And we pray that you would help us to use it wisely, to be obedient to you and to use it in your kingdom. And so for each of us this morning, I pray that we would be able to take steps of faith in this subject, in this area of our lives. Father, if it's an area we've struggled in previously, I pray for steps of obedience this morning and that you might once again prove yourself faithful. Father, I want to thank you for generous givers in this church. Thank you, Lord, for those who have uh, and regularly do give generously to what you're doing in Jubilee and indeed beyond. But Lord, I pray for each of us that we would take further steps of faith in this adventure with you. That we wouldn't settle, we wouldn't sit back and go, oh, I'm, I'm all right on this. But rather we'd see our faith stretch, see you prove faithful, and we might know greater joy in giving all that we have to you. So Lord, help us in these things. Continue to bless us and provide for us, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Don't forget, welcome lunches at James and Naomi's. We'd love for you to join us if you're new to Jubilee. This may be your first morning here. That's fine. Come and have lunch on us. We'd love to have uh, you with us. See James or Naomi or me afterwards for some directions. And uh, either way, there's tea, coffee and refreshments served just through the foyer into the room called The Box. Please don't rush off. And if you are here for the first time, if you go straight out the doors there, uh, just at the back, there's an area that's labelled welcome area. If you take a seat there, we will come and serve you tea and coffee and cake and uh, love to chat with you further. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.